As you know, we've been going through the Leap in the Dark series. And in this chapter in particular, John is going to be talking about a story in which Jesus is walking alongside, heals a blind man. If you remember last week, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And here, we're going to see what light does. It does two things. Number one, it allows people to see clearly where they need to go. And secondly, those that think that they can see, it blinds. When you turn on the lights, sometimes you flinch a little bit because your eyes are so used to darkness that you don't want to see the light. And sometimes it happens to those people, whereas others are ready to receive that light. So... Right here in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's pray. Father, we open up your word this evening. And many of us have been walking around blind Many of us have been suffering and not sure why they're suffering. And some of us feel like they've been suffering for so long that they can't even remember a time in which they've been happy. So Lord, I pray that you're able to speak to those people through the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, that this evening they would no longer walk in darkness, but they would have the light of life, as that's exactly what you came to do, to set people free, not technically free, but really free. You didn't rescue the people of Israel to be technically free, free from Egypt, but you really did give them freedom. And so deliver us tonight, Lord, we pray. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Suffering is a really hard thing to understand, and many of us go through different types of suffering, whether it's circumstantial suffering you can't even help it. You know, maybe your parents are always arguing that maybe even contemplating a divorce. The situations that come about in life, you just, you can't help it. Some of you, you're going through finals right now. You're thinking about schoolwork. And because of circumstances, you are suffering. Some of you are going through emotional suffering. You're, maybe it's a loss of a loved one. or you, You've uh, lost a relationship. You know, you have heartache or issues emotionally. And some of us have physical suffering, whether it's cancer, sickness. And here this man was born blind. He never had the chance to see. And so he had suffered all throughout his life to this point. He had walked in darkness. He had not known what light was. Now in the time of Jesus, you have to understand, the Jewish people believed that if you are suffering with something physical, if you are sick... That's because of either your sin or the sin that your parents committed. And that's exactly what the disciples said. They looked at this poor man, they pitied him, and they asked Jesus, whose fault is it that this man is suffering? Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? You see, they even went so deep in that. They went so deep in that thought that they believed that you could actually sin in the womb. They thought babies inside their mother's womb could actually sin and because of that be born blind like this. So you can imagine how this guy was viewed as an outcast because he couldn't help it that he was blind, yet everyone blamed him for being blind. 
The only thing I can really think about this that it could be likened to in our day is when you go to New York City, you see a homeless person, how many of us don't feel pity because we think, well, they must have deserved it. They must deserve what they're going through because they probably are a drunk or they abuse drugs or whatever. We automatically assume their situation is their own fault. Right? So take that situation. Now let's think about this blind man. Every Jewish person believed if you were sick, it was your own fault. Now, in one sense, sin and suffering is connected in that all suffering is due to some sin. The sin that uh, we have committed, that humanity has committed, will bring forth suffering. Because of sin, through Adam, we all die. Death entered the world through wrongdoing. But it is wrong to say that sin, the, uh, or rather it's wrong to say the suffering that we are enduring physically, emotionally, or whatever, is due to the s- same sin that we committed. Now some sins do produce real life suffering, like in your own life. If you're gossiping all the time, it might come back and bite you. If you're lying all the time, people might not trust you. Um, if you're going out and being sexually promiscuous, that will have consequences. If you're abusing drugs, if you're drinking alcohol, that can have consequences. But not all of our suffering is the result of our sin. But we still have that superstition today, right? You'll go throughout your life, and when bad things happen, you say, what did I do to deserve this? Or sometimes you feel even unjustly uh, judged, right? You're going through a suffering, and you say, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I haven't, I haven't hurt anybody I didn't say anything mean to anyone. Why am I being, being treated in this way if I did nothing to deserve this? So imagine how this blind man, how he must have been treated. Do you, do you know anyone in your own life that you're treating them as if everything they're going through, you're watching the life, you're like, wow, that person is going through a lot. But you know what? They must have done something wrong. There must be their own faults. I mean, they always lie. They always gossip. They always... They, they don't even make any sense most of the time. And so the suffering that they endure, they are justified in receiving it. But you see, Jesus challenges this superstition right here in verse 3. He says, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's what you need to know. Some of you are looking at your trials as punishment for sin. You know, I've had in my own struggles and anxiety in the past, you know, things that you can't help. You just can't help but be worried or concerned or have panic attacks or whatever. I used to think, well, I must have done something wrong. It must be because I'm doing some terrible sin that God is allowing these trials into my life. But realize that John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but... To save the world through him. You see, there is a time in which Jesus will judge the world. It is not yet. He has come to save you, not be your enemy. You don't have to be afraid of God and fear God in this like, oh no, he's going he's gonna to execute his wrath on me right now. He's going to judge me because I just sinned or I did this terrible thing. And you feel like you can't approach God. You see, Jesus stopped to heal this man born blind. Because it was not yet time to judge him. It was the time to save him. And the same thing is for you. If you're suffering tonight and you're going through a trial and you feel like you can't escape, 
Jesus does not come to condemn you tonight. You have come to this church. You have come to this youth group, and you're here. Everyone's here right now. You are here to receive rescue from Jesus Christ, healing through his blood. His blood is not judgment on you. You're not receiving that blood as if you committed murder. You're receiving that blood as atonement for your sins. So the best thing you can do is embrace the Savior who's come to rescue you, not fear him as judge, because that's not the reason why he came. So here in this man's life, what actually happens is the works of God should be revealed in him, Jesus says. This is the reason there is good that is going to come out of this trial. And some of us can't see that, right? Like there's no way that what I'm going through, anything redemptive can come out of it. But you see, Jesus saw this man and said this blind man was, was going to be healed to give God the glory so that you guys would hear this story and be able to be inspired and changed by this, this man's life. This is not to say that the suffering was caused by God. It's not to say that God was like, oh yeah, well, I'm just going to inflict you with suffering so that I get glory out of it. No, that's not what it is. But it's that God doesn't stand idly by while the world is suffering. Instead, he says, I will take part of that suffering. I will become a man, know what it's like to be you. And I will take that suffering upon myself so that one day there will be a day in which there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more hurt, no more sorrow, no more pain. Because I'm willing to take that upon myself so that you don't have to. You see, the end result is better. The end result of what we're going through will be better than it was before you even had the suffering. You will become better as a person from your suffering. Some practical examples. Without fear, you would have no opportunity to, exi uh, ex to, to practice courage. Without tribulation, there would be no patience. Without any adversity, adversity... I can't talk today. Adversity, there would be no character development. Craig Rochelle is a pastor who once said this. Your greatest misery can be your greatest ministry. You see, God wants to take that pain that you've had and wants to use it for his kingdom so that you can inspire others and reach and touch others in a way that not many people can. So this is what you got to know. This is, our first this is our first point for tonight. Don't let a cloudy day ruin your hope for sunlight. Don't let one cloudy day ruin your hope for sunlight. Thinking that, you know, when it's cloudy outside like it is today, that doesn't mean that every day is going to be cloudy. doesn't mean that every day is going to be terrible and gloomy. But you, you're believing that one day the sun's going to come out again. It's going to be a sunny day you got to place your hope in Jesus, that he always is shining. He is always there, even in the worst of situations. Now, you might say, well, how can you say that about my situation? You don't know what I've gone through. Well, there's one thing that I know, and that's that God has brought me out of my misery, out of my muck and mire, and has put me on solid ground. And he can do the same with you. I believe that because God doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He has a plan and purpose for you. So if something happened in my life, he can do the exact same thing for you. C.S. Lewis said this, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. You see, when we have regret, 
when we're looking back at our past and saying, why am I going, why, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe this happened to me, what you're saying is you don't believe that God can work in the future. And that's simply not true. God's going to work backwards and show you that he redeemed every single moment of your sin, of your shame, of your guilt, and of your suffering. And now if you can't see that hope, you just can't see it at all, you know, you're like, I just don't see it. it's, it's possible for, for anything good to come out of this. Well, you're physically blind until you're born, right? If you're in the womb, you can't see anything. In the same way, you're spiritually blind until you're born again. So maybe what has to happen tonight is that you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. You never prayed a prayer admitting that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness and you need to be born again. And that's what we'd encourage you to do, to do tonight. Yes, it's a cloudy day. It might be terrible today. It might be a day of suffering. But you need to believe that the sun is behind the clouds. You need to believe as gloomy and dark as it is, there is a sun behind the clouds shining. And there is hope. So don't let a cloudy day ruin your hope for sunlight. Look at verse 4. It says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Why did he say, as long as I'm in the world? Well, if you're not willing to reflect his light, you're going to be shrouded by darkness when he's taken away. If you're not willing to accept his light now, there will come a time and day in which he removes his light and you won't have the chance to accept him. There is a time limit on your accepting Jesus, on your receiving Jesus. We talked about that last week. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If God is knocking on the door of your heart, don't miss out on that opportunity to invite him in and experience the living God. Secondly, I want you to write this down. Our second point is don't put God's methods in your blind spot. Don't put God's methods in your blind spot. If you think of what a blind spot is, if you're driving, you, you know, you're driving your car, you always have those blind spots where you can't see. If you need to change lanes, you need to check those blind spots so that you don't hit a car that's next to you or an obstacle that's next to you. And some of us take God's methods and his ways of doing things and we forget that his ways are different than our ways. We totally miss that. We have our plan. We, we know how God needs to heal us, how God needs to relieve our suffering. And it winds up being very different than what we expected. Look at verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Now stop right there. You're expecting God to heal you. You're blind. You expect him to do what he's done in the past. Like we've read in the past eight chapters, you know, Take up your mat and walk, you know, open your eyes, you're healed. He spat on the ground, it says, and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus spat in the clay to heal the blind man. Now there's a couple things to learn from this. Number one, I think that one of the reasons why Jesus might have done this is to show you there's no secret method. There's no like secret prayer of you just stand in this way or you like talk to Jesus in this way or pray in this way. Then he's going to give you what you really want. There is no secret method. God will heal 
with some of the most obscure methods sometimes. Also, your healing might not be conventional. It might not be what you expect. You're saying, God, I need this suffering to be relieved, and this is how you can do it. And God's saying, nope, I got my own ways of doing things. You need to make sure that God's methods are not in your blind spots. You're putting them right before you. You're saying, God, I want healing, and I'm not sure how you're going to do it, but you know what? I'm leaving that up to you, and I'm going to trust in you and your ways. Also, another thing to learn about this is, well, what was generally seen as unclean, if you think of spit, no one's like, oh, spit's awesome. You know, it's a cleaning solution. But what is generally seen as unclean was the method to cleansing. That means don't call what God has called clean, unclean. That means sometimes you might have to find healing in forgiving that person you can't forgive. Or doing the thing that you absolutely don't want to do. There's the, I, would, I would never do that one thing that God wants me to do. But you never know. Maybe by obeying the voice of the Lord and being open to what he says, the very method that you feared the most or the very method that you thought would never be the means of your healing was actually the way that God wanted to heal you. So even dirt can be medicine in the hand of God. You know, how much work does it take for God to heal you? Not very much. How did he speak uh, the world into existence? How did he make uh, humans in the first place? He spoke to the dust. He breathed in it, and there was life. And now for this blind man, all he had to do was spit in the ground, rub some dirt on his eyes, and he was healed. You think it's too hard for the Lord to heal you? You think it's too hard to relieve that suffering? There is nothing that you're going through. Listen very carefully. Everyone look up here. There is nothing that you're going through that is too difficult for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with him. And that's what we need to realize. So don't put God's methods in your blind spot. Thirdly, don't let your comfort zone become a coffin. Don't let your comfort zone become a coffin. Look at verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had said or had seen that he was blind, said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? So everyone's going nuts. Like, uh, pretty sure this was the man we've seen all our life, begging by the side of the road, blind. And so their question is, Is this the guy? And they're talking right in front of him. He's like, no, I'm him. I'm him. Hi. How are your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus had made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I wash and I see. He put clay, I wash, I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So they're still on the Sabbath thing, like can't heal people on the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. 
But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received the sight until they called the parents of him who had received the sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he, see, does he now sleep? Does, does he now see? What's really interesting to me about this, and it talks about he was of age, so he's at least 13 years old. A lot of people have said it's probable that this guy was like a teenager. So that's why they call him the parents. They're like, so you're that same guy? Yeah. Is that the same guy? Yeah. We don't believe you. We're going to have to call your parents. So they called his parents like, um, is this your son? And what's interesting is in verse 20, his parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He is of age, ask him. Basically, so he's old enough to ask him, he'll tell you. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Very, very, very interesting to me. So here's this, this guy, this kid, probably a teenager who's born blind. All of a sudden, Jesus sees him, spits in the ground, rubs his eyes. The guy can see all of a sudden, and everyone's just going crazy. Like, Really? Like, wasn't this the guy, that, the same guy who was born blind? Checks with everyone else. Yep, it's the same guy. And, like, we're going to have to call his parents. Call the parents. Like, uh, your son sees. And, like, yeah, I guess, well, this is our son. He was definitely born blind, and I have no idea what happened to him. What's really interesting, though, is the contrast between the son's confession that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is the one who healed him and the parents' reluctance to say anything about it. Why is it that the parents did not admit that Jesus healed his son? Well, if you're paying attention, it says right there in verse 22 or verse 23, whichever one it is. Verse 22. They feared the Jews because they were afraid that if they said Jesus is the one who healed him, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. The synagogue is like your Walmart if you're in Tennessee. Or like your shopping mall if you're in New Jersey. I don't know why I've said Tennessee. Maybe there's someone in Tennessee from here. It's the place where you hung out. It's the place where you got together as a community. And you're basically an outcast of that community if you're kicked out of the synagogue. So his parents, above all else, were willing to forsake the truth if it meant they got to stay in their comfort zone. That's why I said, do not let your comfort zone become a coffin. Sometimes you'll be so reluctant to share the gospel because you're in this bubble and everything's predictable, everything's safe, and I know what's gonna, I know what to expect today because I am not sharing Jesus with anyone. And I will not be persecuted today because I am not telling anyone about Jesus. I'm not gonna raise my hands in worship today. I'm not gonna sing very loud. So no one's gonna look at me and stare at me and look at me like I have five heads. I'm not gonna encourage anyone with a Bible verse today so that they don't look at me like I'm a Jesus freak. I'm not going to curb my language. I'm not going to pursue holiness because then I'm going to stand out. And I won't be in my comfort zone. Some people, if you remember John chapter uh, 5, we remember we're talking about the, the pool of Bethesda. Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? And some people just don't because they'd rather have something that's predictable, even if it's worse off and it's suffering, 
then go into a scary unknown that's healing. Don't let that be you. Don't be the person that's so afraid of stepping out of your comfort zone that you're willing to forsake, forsake the good things that God has for you. When you stand for Jesus, there will be times in which you have to leave your comfort zone. Many of you know that I worked at a gas station for many, many years. And while I worked at that gas station, sometimes I had to evangelize because my boss, as you know, is a Christian. His daughter and son come to youth group here. And, and so, and they're not here today, but because of that, he always encouraged me to evangelize. You know, if I was inviting people to Bridge Fest, he'd yell at me. So I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll invite them to Bridge Fest. And he's great. It's a great example. Um, but I remember there's this one guy, I've shared this before years ago. There's this one guy who's this burly, bearded man with atheist bumper stickers. On the back of his truck, it said, the last time religion ruled the world, it was the dark ages. And so he had this demeanor about him like, I hate all Christians. And he would always come in on Christmas and Easter. And so I remember him coming in, but he was the nicest man ever. And he would always tip me and say, hey, man, love you. Here you go. Here's a dollar. And I'm like, oh, I can't share Jesus with him because he's so nice, and he, but he's atheist and he's going to hell. But I should say something. And this is me being cowardly. And I liked getting like the tips and stuff. I'm just being honest, okay? So some of us are like that. Like you're in your comfort zone and you're not sure what he's going to do. He's a big burly guy. Maybe if you share the gospel, he's going to like butt your head off or something. I don't know. And so I wouldn't say anything. And the worst is when he came on Christmas because I'm like, oh no, what if he doesn't celebrate Christmas? What do I do? And then so I'd be like, oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Oh, I couldn't do it. And I said, hey, Merry Christmas, brother. I'm like, oh, no. And I felt like so embarrassed because here's an atheist wishing me Merry Christmas. So Easter comes around. I'm like, okay, well, Easter is definitely like the resurrection day. It's about Jesus. So there's no way that I can say anything. But I'm going to try. Okay. All right. So I'm going to muster up and say Happy Easter. And I, I can't do it. And he says, hey. Happy Easter, brother. Here's a dollar. Like, no, he's a better evangelist than me. He's not even a Christian. It's terrible. And I wish I could say at the end of the story that I evangelized him and he became saved and whatever. But the truth is, no. I never left my comfort zone, so I was never able to see the power of God in that man's life, unfortunately. How many of us are willing to die in our comfort zones? I will not leave it. I will not forsake it. There will come a time in which you have to leave it. What do you have to lose if you have Jesus? Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what's so dangerous about staying in the comfort zone? You are less likely to think that you need God's help. You're always relying on your own strength. How can you believe the gospel and share the gospel with other people about how God has changed your life if you're not giving God room to change your life. How can you say, yeah, I rely on the Lord every single day if you rely on your own strength that you don't even need God to get through the day? When you're in an airplane and there's turbulence, I find myself praying a lot more than when the plane is just coasting, right? Sometimes you need to be in a bumpy situation so that you're relying on the Lord and seeing God's power in your life. What will it take for us to get out of our comfort zone? I don't know how many of you watched the news this week. There was a 15-year-old kid who was in California. Talked to his dad, and his dad said, your mom died in Somalia. And he was in an argument with them. 
and eventually he came to found out that in an argument with his dad, his, his mom never died. And apparently she was in Hawaii, alive. So this 15-year-old kid, this is right on the news. This isn't a joke. This is real-life stuff. How many heard about this? This 15-year-old kid snuck into an airport in California, went into the wheel well of an airplane that just happened to be going to Hawaii, and in sub-zero temperatures with very little oxygen, took a plane five and a half hours to Hawaii, made it off and walked off the plane, and went to go find his mom. And so people are saying this is a miracle that this kid survived in the wheel well of an airplane. Don't get any funny ideas. You will die. But what really struck me is what the reporter said at the end. Because they're all just like, they can't wrap their minds around this. They said that is the definition of desperation. And if you remember in our Bible study weeks ago, we talked about how desperation must lead you to Jesus. Because when you're desperate, you're willing to try anything, right? It's like when you were dying, you're on a plane, the plane's going down, you're willing to try anything. You'll put your heads in between your legs, you'll pray, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes. And here this kid was so desperate to find his mom, he was willing to even jump in the wheel well of a plane. Why do I say all this? Well, let me ask you, are you in a desperate situation? Are you putting yourself, are you taking risks and stepping out of your comfort zone, putting yourself in a situation where you need God's help you need God to show up or else you are in big trouble. You see, Hebrews 11, 8 through 9 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as, which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not even knowing where he was going. Remember Noah when he was commanded to build an ark? He built a big boat when they did not have any boats prior to that. Before they even had rain. And it looked ridiculous. And Noah's like, all right, I'm building this boat. And Lord, if you don't show up, I'm in big trouble and I'm going to look really dumb. Are you putting yourself in situations? Are you taking risks so that if God does not show up in your life, you're going to be put to shame? Saying, Lord, I need your help because if you don't show up, if you don't help me, I'm in big trouble. How can we show the world that we, we worship and we, we praise a powerful God if we always rely on our own strength? A.W. Tozer said this, Why do we set such store by that which the Lord has long ago repudiated and despise those things which God holds in high esteem? For we teach men not to die with Christ, but to live in the strength of their dying manhood. We boast not in our weakness, but in our strength. Thus we glorify men to enhance the standing of the church of God, and the glory of the Prince of Life is made to hang upon the transient fame of a man who shall die. I'm not talking about taking risks for the sake of risk. I'm not just saying just do something stupid. I'm saying when God tells you to do something and God's calling you out into a world that's just complacent, are you willing to step out? When everyone else is sitting at home watching TV on their couches, are you saying, I want to try something daring. I want to follow the Lord. I'm not saying kick yourself out of the synagogue just because you want to and just for fun. I'm saying take risks because you believe in a God who's able to sustain you. So don't let your comfort zone be the place that you die. Don't let it become a coffin. Fourthly, you don't need to see clearly to know you need glasses. You don't need to see clearly to know you need glasses. Look at verse 24. 
So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. When they say give God the glory, he, they're saying tell the truth. Basically, you're under oath. Tell us that this man who healed you is actually a sinner. He answered and said this, and I love this, because he's completely honest. And you can almost sense this youthful, youthfulness in him. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They're like just perplexed. Like, how did this even happen? He answered them, I told you already. and You didn't listen. Like, that is such a teenage thing to say. Like, you guys aren't listening to me. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now he's getting a little snappy, right? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing. That you don't know where he is from. Yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone uh, opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Basically, by saying that to him, they're saying under that same uh, presupposition that if you are born blind, you're born in sins. They're like, listen, you're, you're a sinner. We know that you've done something terrible, and that's why you're going through this trial in the first place, Where, whereas we are not sinners. So they try to just cast him out. I love this because it makes this man so relatable. This man didn't have all the answers. This guy who was defending Jesus, he didn't know everything, but he knew one thing. He says, though I was blind, now I see. He wasn't even sure who Jesus was. He says, I think he's a prophet. I don't know. That's the only thing he knew is that Jesus changed his life. This goes to show you that you don't have to know everything to know that God can change you. You don't have to know everything about Jesus to be able to give a defense of what God has done in your life. You see, even if the evidence was against you, because maybe some of you are afraid of going into your public schools or going to college and not being able to present the gospel in a way that's going to like be effective or defend against people that are angry and atheistic and whatever, you don't have to know everything. Just know that God's changed your heart. If you're a Christian, he has to, right? So know how God has saved you from darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. Be able to speak about that. That's all you need to know. Listen, even if the evidence was against you, that doesn't mean you have to believe what they're saying. Let's say you're talking to an atheistic professor and they say to you, oh, well, for this reason, you know, the Bible's made up and I have this scholar and this thing and that thing. That doesn't mean you have to believe them, even if you can't defend it. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you were convicted of murder. You were convicted of murder. They found evidence that you were not in this place when you should have been. And they're like, it's, it's, it, it's completely conclusive. We know that you committed the murder. But you yourself know you haven't committed the murder. Do you have to believe that you committed the murder based on the evidence? No, you're perfectly justified in believing you really didn't commit the murder because you didn't. And the truth is, you know, even if you can't give a defense as to how you didn't do it. In the same way, you don't have to know everything you don't have to know all the evidence about God to know that God has changed one thing about your life, to know that God, the living God has met you. So I'm not saying that you have to be unreasonable to believe in God. I'm not saying you have to forsake all the evidence. 
I'm saying that you're justified in believing that your experience is sufficient evidence for the existence of God in your life. What's funny is, he says, if this man were not from God, in verse 33, he could do nothing. And if you think about it, that's a really weak argument, right? That's a weak defense of Jesus. Because in the Bible, we have seen miracles that weren't of God. The Pharaoh's magicians were able to do all these replications and, and things when Moses was before him. So at best, this is a weak argument. But even though it's a weak argument, he had the right conclusion. As Pastor Tim Chaddock once said, even the weakest of faith can still cling to the strongest of saviors. So what gives me confidence in this is I don't have to know all the answers. I just have to know the Savior. I have to know one thing about God, how he's changed my life. Think about a parachute. Let's say that you're going skydiving. Regardless of how little you trust your parachute and how, how little you trust the packing of it and a person's like ability to design a parachute, by jumping out of the plane, what keeps you safe is not your trust in the parachute. What keeps you safe is the strength of the parachute. So in the same way, what keeps you safe and saved is not your ability to trust in Jesus. It's just, have you put any trust in Jesus? Not like the amount of faith, but is the faith there? And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, if you have faith as a mustard seed, as small as a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds to them and the Jewish people, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Who are you putting your faith in? Last point is in verse 35. Let's continue. Oh, wait, I didn't even explain that fourth point. My bad. So what I was saying in the fourth point is you don't have to see clearly to know you need glasses. Right? You don't, if you have blurry vision, you can just know, well, you know what? I think I need glasses. You don't have to see everything perfectly. Like, all right, now I need to go get glasses. All you have to know is that you need glasses. Someone tells you, someone diagnoses you, whatever. Fifth point is in verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Isn't this great? This kid is putting a better defense, is more bold than his parents, even though he knows nothing. He gives a terrible defense of the gospel, and yet he is so bold that he's willing to be kicked out of the synagogue. And when he is, Jesus finds him, and he asks ask God, ask Jesus, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Jesus didn't say, you don't even know who I am? Like, that's it, I'm leaving now. He was willing to explain it is he who is talking to you right now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Though this man was casted out, Jesus took him in. Psalm 27, one of my favorite psalms, in verse 10 says this. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Realize when you jump out of your comfort zone, when you make a bold move for God, even if the world forsakes you, God will not forsake you. God will not leave you hanging. I say, oh, you're, you're now cast now. You're out of synagogue. And sorry, blind man, you're just going to have to deal with it. At least you got your sight. Sorry. 
No, he goes and he finds the man who is cast out. Here's our fifth and final point. When the clouds cast you out, the sun will take you in. When the clouds cast you out, the sun will take you in. There are people in, in this life who will block the sunlight, who will be clouds in your life. There will be people that are religious people, religious leaders like the Pharisees, who say, yeah, we worship God. Yeah, this is the way to worship God. And they completely misrepresent God. They distort his light. They're in the way of his light. They say terrible things to you. They place a burden on you and say, in order to be a Christian, you have to start living your life this way. And then you got to start doing this. And you got to start doing this. They put all these burdens on you. And they, in a, in a sense, are keeping you away from God himself. But don't let those clouds get in the way of God, of the sun, of his light from shining through to you. You see, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. You see, there is a sweetness about Jesus there's a sweetness about following him in that when you follow him, you're out of joy, want to obey his commands. It's out of joy. You're like, I want to read my Bible all of a sudden. I never had this desire before. All of a sudden, I want to pray. All of a sudden, I want to live my life differently. I don't want to curse anymore. I don't want to talk about people that way anymore. I want to do what pleases God. And when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, all of a sudden, it's not these rules, these regulations. I need to run as, far, as fast as I can. I need to do as hard as, uh, as, as, as I possibly can. You suddenly want to serve God out of the pure joy of seeking God. Whereas other people will get in the way, religious leaders will get in the way and distort Christianity and say terrible things to you and make you feel unwelcome here at church, at youth group, and you won't want to approach God because of what they've done to you. But don't let them get in the way because there will be a day in which the sun comes out again. You know, God's going to judge those those worthless shepherds, as we're going to learn next week. God's going to judge the people that distort his message, the people that misrepresent him. Don't worry about those people, and don't let them distort your view of Jesus, because he's the one who truly cares about you, even if the messengers are sometimes messed up. So if you don't believe everything about religion, you're not even sure about all the religious leaders, that doesn't matter. Know who Jesus is. The one thing, though I was blind, now I see. I know that God is capable more than able of delivering me from my suffering. Though it's a cloudy day, the sunshine's coming out one day, and that's why I'm going to step out of my comfort zone because I don't want to die here. I don't want to die knowing that I lived my life in my own strength. I want to take big risks because I know I believe in a big God, and my misery can be my biggest ministry. The worst thing that happened to me can be the best thing that happened to me if I trust in a God who's able to bring healing who's able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I believe that about my life, and I believe that about your life. So the question is, are you willing to receive that light? Are you the person who's going to flinch when the light comes on? Are you going to be the person who accepts it and is willing to walk in the light? Because you know that not only is that the best way to go, that is where you're going to find joy and that more abundantly. That's where you're going to find true peace. Everything that you're, you've been looking for and been waiting for is in Christ Jesus. The Pharisees, on the other hand, confirm that they are full of darkness because when light is right in front of them, when the Son of God was right in front of them, they refused to admit that it was light. What about you? When you have, here at a Bible study, 
right before you, you have the word of God being spoken to your heart. Are you willing to receive it? Or are you going to be the person who flinches and turns away? You see, you guys have a great opportunity. No matter what everyone else is doing, no matter where everyone else is going, it doesn't matter. Do you want to be the person who has a life that's transformed by a living God? And if that is you tonight, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Don't care about where everyone else is going. Know that you can walk on the path that God has for you. Jesus says that wide is the way to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Be willing to walk that narrow road because you have God who's walking right beside you and leading you to that eternal path. Let's bow our heads tonight.